0: Good morning, it's good to have you all here. We're going to continue our series on the purpose of the church, purpose of the kingdom of God. We've dealt with worship, we've dealt with fellowship, last week we dealt with evangelism and this week I want to deal with how we are to demonstrate, discover our own gifts in the Lord and to demonstrate God's love in ministry and in service. Napoleon at his height looked at a map of China and he said there lies a sleeping giant if it ever wakes up it will be unstoppable there is a sleeping giant yeah down the road round the corner lots of giants I want to say to you, if they ever wake up, they will be unstoppable. Unstoppable. There are two reasons, and I want to quickly go through the first one. Two reasons why there are so many sleeping giants. And the first one, if the the church ever woke up, they would discover that when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, Jesus has not called us into a comfortable, easy life there are necessary disciplines that have to take place. And one of those disciplines is participating and regularly attending church and community and participating in the things of the church. You see, the Christian life involves much more than just believing. It means belonging. See, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us very clearly that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The Bible knows nothing of the individual Christian life. We are always in a community, in a corporate environment, and we need to belong to the body of Christ. Remember when Jesus started his ministry, he went into the synagogue one day and he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I hopefully will get to preach about that in the next couple of weeks. But the the, the verse in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. as was If that was the custom of Jesus to come, to participate, to get involved, then that should be our custom as well. And when a person comes to understand and experience the salvation and the redemption of God, immediately, yes, it's a personal commitment, but immediately they step into a realm, into an area where they belong together with family. Acts 20 and verse 7 says, and on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began speaking to them. The great father of The faith, St. Augustine, told a story and he said, coals of fire keep one another warm. But if you take tongs and you put the fire outside of that, then that coal will grow very cool and very cold very quickly. You need to take that and put it back on the fire. So regular attendance is absolutely essential. It's impossible to love the groom and not love the bride. I think it's just impossible. And our attitude towards the church indicates our attitude towards Christ and to Christ's influence in our community and in the world. If we're faithful to him, we help him. If we're indifferent, I think we hurt the Lord. Billy Graham once said, people ask, why do you go to church? Why do you participate in church? And he said, to show whose side I'm on. What's the point of one of those Ten Commandments why do we keep the sabbath hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says do not forsake the assembling of the saints psalm 50 and verse 5 says gather my godly ones unto me those who have made a covenant with me it's a very interesting story god approached a man one day and said i want you to spend a day with me please the man reasoned and he said lord I've got 365 days a year. I sleep for 8 hours a day making 122 days. Subtract subtracted from 365 days leaves 443. I work for 8 hours a day making another 122 days, leaving a balance of 121 days. There are 52 Sundays and you said, Lord, do nothing on Sundays. So I do nothing, which leaves 69 days. I am sick on an average of 31 days, one month. its a very sick dude. I mean, I don't know why he chooses the biggest month and not month like February, 28 days. I spend one hour of lunch, totals 16 days, leaving 22 days left, and I get 21 days of leave. And you said... Make it a holiday. There are people that come to church and in the beginning of December, they disappear. And when I see them in halfway through January, I, you know, I say, hey, were you away? During no, no, we were here. Holiday is a holiday, you know. So we get to one day that's left. And the man said, now here, Lord, in all due respect, you don't expect me to give up my last day. participate, get involved, get involved. I'm going to go on and talk about something. I want Joy just to stand up and just give uh, a little bit of an insight as to what happened uh, about 10 days ago. Joy, do you want to come and share?
1: Okay, hi. So the other day I was in the garden and we've got this huge granadilla vine that grows on our wall and Last year, I could see lots of beautiful little flowers. I don't know if you've ever seen the granadilla flowers, how pretty they are. And this year, there were none. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I'm not seeing one little flower. And then I was raking up some leaves underneath, and I noticed there were lots of granadillas hidden underneath that had already fallen off. Some of them were perfect, beautiful granadillas, Some were pale that hadn't ripened yet, and some looked a bit fraught, and some were wrinkled that I could have picked up probably weeks ago that were just lying under there. And I don't know if there's, Elzeby, if you can put the picture up. (laughs) Is it up? Okay. So that's what those fraught granadillas looked like. And um, I said, Lord, have you got a word for me in this? Is there something that you're trying to say? And Then he reminded me of this huge windstorm we had not so long ago, I'm sure you guys will remember. And when I went outside, I noticed that there were lots of little flowers like this, that much smaller than this, um, that were all dry and shriveled up, literally hundreds of them lying on the ground. And those were the ones that were on the outskirts of the vine that were um, exposed to the elements, so the wind blew them off. And those are all lost little fruit that will never be. And um, so I said, Lord, you know, what are you trying to tell me? And then, of course, each granadilla had a meaning as well. You know, the, the, the ripe, perfect ones and the shriveled up ones and the, the fraught-looking ones <laughs> or the ones that could have been brought in sooner um, that looked unhealthy. And, yeah, what I felt like... The lord's saying is we're in a season of harvesting in our church and we need to as a congregation start lifting up the undergrowth of this vine and start searching underneath to find that those fruit that have fallen and there will be some that will be healthy some that will need to ripen in the windowsill some that that are a little bit sick and um, that will need tlc and love And we need to be faithful with the people that God has put in our lives as a congregation. Um, Help people to process things, uh, spend time with them, invite them into your home, ask the right kind of questions to dig so that you get the, the type of response to find out what's going on in their lives so that you can help them. Because when people are weak and they're young in the faith, they need to draw on you all the time because they can't they don't have their own well yet so I was reading that funny enough um, in Oswald Chambers book again this week that we feel drained sometimes because we have a lot of new believers that draw from us but we need to train them up and we need to disciple them and we need to bring them to a place where they're digging their own well and where they don't need to rely on you but they're relying on God themselves and I felt like that was a word for us as a church Um, yeah, and we need to search out those people that don't speak, that don't verbalize how they're feeling and what they're going through. Um, Luke 8, verse 5 to 8 says, A farmer went out to sow his seeds. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell on the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, where uh, and when it came up, the plant withered because it had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then a bit further on in verse 11, it says, the seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. That's the storm. Uh, the windstorm. The seeds that fell among the thorns stayed sorry, uh, the seeds that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature but the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a a crop. So what I want to highlight in all this is the enemy has tactics. He's going to bring those storms across our lives, and he's bringing opposition in every possible way, and we mustn't forget it. We must be alert and awake to his schemes. Um, those that are on the outskirts and that are exposed are not going to withstand the storm. We have lots and lots of granadillas. There's a bag over there to prove it. <laughs> um, and they were all hidden in the undergrowth, underneath all those vines. They were protected. So those that are in the body of Christ, active, and as, as Richard said, involved, those are the ones that will stand strong in the, in the storm. So, we need to sow seeds of love and righteousness. And the people, so the people that don't know how to take care of their gardens yet, um, we will be able to show them.
0: The second aspect that I want to talk about this morning is the awakening of a giant, is that the pews are filled with people. You know, when I was in the Presbyterian church for 24 years, they uh, always categorized an active member as somebody who came to church regularly and who gave some fu- form of financial support. And that was the expectation. But I think when I read the Bible, that is, that is so far below the expectation what the Bible requires. Gallup Poll had done a bit of research and they said in every congregation, in any congregation, there is an average of about 10% that are working earnestly for the work of the kingdom and he said that 50% have absolute no interest they just show up from time to time in church so I mean that's that's a shocking thing to to think that 50% of people who attend church are very very superficial and on on the edge but when you consider that 50 and 10% who are opposite there is 40% left and the 40% is the one that needs to stand up. Those that have expressed an interest, but those that have never been asked and who don't know how to step into it. I mean, there is a gold mine of people there. So if we have 50% of folk that are involved and passionate about the things of the kingdom, then things can change hugely and enormously. I mean, it's a gold mine. Just a gold mine. And that's every pastor's, I mean, we would have thought that we've died and gone to heaven if that's the situation. How wonderful would that be? And Josh Chen, we don't really want to have a church that grows over 200. And we're going to pop over that mark this year. Who knows? We can start a work in Strand. But we, we, we I You know, it's great to have a huge congregation of thousands of people and they're like that all over the world. But you see, within those congregations, and they have resources and they have the manpower, but within those congregations there is so much hidden talent that's sitting there. And we would rather have... I mean, I see the growth that's taken place in Sean and Chantel as we planted them out in Gordons Bay and, and Willem and Leone. I mean, they're just doing so well and they've raised up a bunch of guys. If we just had a big congregation of 350, 400 people, I mean, there would be so many hidden talents there. But in starting smaller congregations and smaller works, I mean, I, when I was at Mulleton, I, I really wanted to... Uh, grow the worship team and i'm talking to a guy he uh was professional man in in the medical field and you know i said yeah i'm 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 looking so much to having a bass player and he looked at me and he said i'll play the bass I, i just about fell over i mean he's sitting in the congregation for four years before i asked that question and he played the bass fantastically Come on, get involved. Get involved. And the church is never stronger than those that are involved in the life and the work of the church. We need to be intentional. We need to have a well-planned system of uncovering, of mobilizing, and supporting the giftedness of people. Most evangelical churches believe that every single member of that congregation is a minister of the gospel. It's a major emphasis in their preaching and in their teaching. But there are great a great many people that don't step up and get into that. I used to have membership vows in the previous congregation. I'll read them to you. And when something like this, I will share in the responsibility of my church in praying for its growth, in inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will serve in the ministry of my church. This is your church as well. By discovering my gifts, by being equipped by the leaders, by developing a servant's heart, I will support the testimony of my church, attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. You see, the moment that we come to Christ, we come to Christ personally. That's the decision that we ourselves have made. Yes, Lord, I promise I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Immediately we make that personal decision. We step into community. We step into belonging to a family. That moment. Yes, it's a personal decision, but that decision brings us into family, into belonging, into participating. This is a given in the Christian life. You have a full-time call on your life. Every believer has a full-time call on their life to minister in the Lord, to participate in the things of God. There's a lovely story about four people. Their names were everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Nobody. There was a job that needed to be done, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job, and everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized everybody wouldn't do it, and in the end, everybody blamed somebody when actually nobody asked anybody. Consider yourself asked. (laughs) There are three distinct areas of ministry in the life of a church. And I'm sure that you will identify with this. The first one is, the minister is the church, does the ministry, and you can't involve anyone else except the minister. Bad. Bad. Bad type. The second type, and we're touching on this here, the minister delegates the ministry to people who help in the ministry of the church. I want to go the third one. And this is what it says. The people are the church, and the minister equips them, ministers, leaders, elders, equip them for ministry. That's the ideal. You are the church. Let's go to First uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so just go back to that one. The fivefold ministry does the work of equipping the saints... Look at that, those next few words, for the work of ministry. That's the job of the church, is to step forward and into ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. We are part of a movement called the 412 movement, and it's based on that verse. It's based on that verse. You are the church. Carry on. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We are going to attain to the faith and the full knowledge of God when we are together and ministering to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the essence of this. You know, it's interesting to see in verse 16, "...from Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament." grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All of us, all of us are ministers. Every single believer, not the pastor, not the elders, all of us are ministers. And service in the body of Christ isn't an optional thing. We're part of the army of God And as you participate in the things of the kingdom, it's not about volunteering. You are there and involved. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus and to be like Jesus. Even Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. If that was the task of Jesus to serve and give his life, that should be ours as well. I started this year by saying to the elders, I want you to know that you're not here serving me and the ministry of this church and the vision that we've set. I'm here to serve you. And I think that we all need to be serving one another. Consider others more important than yourself. Now, I'm going to read a list of things, and there are verses for every single one, and I can maybe forward this to all the community leaders. Every Christian is created for ministry, saved for ministry, called to ministry, gifted for ministry, authorized for ministry, commanded to minister, be prepared to minister, needed for ministry, accountable for ministry, and will be rewarded according to his or her ministry. And every ministry is important. There are no little ministries. There are no little gifts in the body of Christ. There are no insignificant ministries. Every ministry is important. Now, we have a number of lights in the house. We used to have a house that had a massive chandelier. It had high ceilings and... Sometimes when we had people, we turned that light on and it gave light to a lot of different corners in, in the lounge. My wife said to me a number of years ago, "He said, the most important light for you in, the, in this house is the fridge light. <laughs> I, I've lost a lot of weight and it's no longer the important part of the important light in the house. But when I, when I wake up at night, you know, I've got this new watch and it's dark, and it's load shedding, and everything is pitch black outside. I've got this watch, and if I turn it, that little light, that face comes on. And that's good enough light for me to, in my dual state, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I mean, it's just universally 4 o'clock, I'm 65, hello, and I stagger my way through to the loo. I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for that light, because, you know, I don't want to stub my toe against the leg of the bed, because then it's going to be instant agony. So I'm grateful for that little light. That, at four o'clock in the morning, that light is super important. There are no insignificant ministries in the life and the work of the church. And we are all dependent on each other. You know, one of the things is that they're all intertwined. That's what happens with giftedness, is it's all intertwined. It's You know, if if you put a jigsaw puzzle out and there's one... Thing missing, your eye immediately goes to that missing piece. And you might be that missing piece. We're part of the body of Christ. I mean, if I stub my toe, it, it, you know, it's just a toe. It's just way down there, at the end of your foot. But I mean, if you've ever stubbed your toe, your body, your entire body is crying out, "Aina, I, ain't We're all participators. We're not expect, spectators. You see, it's like a soccer field. You've got 22 people running around, absolutely exhausted, sweating their guts out, and you've got tens of thousands of people in the stands saying, come on, come on, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, they say that Christianity is the greatest indoor spectator sport in the world. I mean, we need to change that. It's not an indoor spectator sport. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is clear, clear, clear that we are part of a body and we need to be participating. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, just everybody wants to be finger pointing in the direction somebody wants to be an eye I mean watched a movie last night with Medley just for a few uh, a few minutes and they had a lot of photography on the person's face that's what actors do in movies on stage it's very different it's much more animated but on on a movie you see their face you see their eyes you see you understand what's going on the emotion behind eyes are, are super super important some people want to be eyes who wants to be an ear I mean, it's the only thing in the in the body along with the nose that keeps on growing i mean at 65 you start to shrink but the ears get bigger and bigger nobody's ever written a song i love your ears and nose. Who wants to be a nose? Oh, check at the beak that's on him. Uh, you can park bo- no- uh, b- buses in those nostrils, my word. <laughs> I mean, we can be, we, we, we can ridicule different parts of the body. And who wants to be a foot? Foot is super important. I'm using my feet all the time as I'm speaking to you. But you never see, you see praying hands on a mantelpiece or on a picture. How often do you see a foot? No, but feet are super, super important. Let's look at that passage. If a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing Okay let me let me just say just within the ear the smallest bone in the human body is what is called a stapes malleus stapes incus tiny tiny little bones in the ear all serve a very important function if they didn't if you didn't have any one of those three bones you wouldn't be able to hear And the ear. I mean, nobody told me in my biology class in Standard 8, Grade 10, that when I get to 65, I'm going to have garden brooms sticking out the side of my head. Ears are ugly. And nostrils, nostril hairs. Well, well, I mean, if you didn't cut and trim your nostril hairs, you'd have great big bushes sticking out of your nostrils. I mean, one, one guy refused to cut his nostril hairs at one of the churches that I was at, and I mean, every time I looked at him, I thought, like, I mean, it's not a pretty sight to stand in front of the mirror and cut you. You look pretty awful. <laughs> Some of the older guys, yeah. <laughs> but nostril hairs for fuller function. I mean, you've, you've, you've seen that thing where that what, I think it's an Arabic guy. He goes and his friends are in the background, and he goes and he has a wax, wax on, on, on the extra hair on the side of his face and on, on his nose, and he's got uh, ear, ear, whatever's in his, in his nose with wax, and they pull it out and he freaks out. It's so sore. You know, you, your nostril hairs are a filtration system for the rest of your, your breathing, it's a breathing apparatus. Trim them, make sure you don't stick out of your nose but they're there to serve a function. It's, it's very, very important. Don't depreciate the gifts that we've got within the body of Christ. You know, there was somebody in Acts chapter 9, her name was Dorcas or uh, uh, Tabitha, um, and, and she fulfilled such an important function in the New Testament church. She had what is called the gift of helps that people when she died cried so bitterly that Peter had to come pray for her and raise her, resurrect her from the dead. Because she was of such incredible help. The redemptive work in the world today that needs to take place is not going to be accomplished by supernatural heroes, individuals and charismatic superstars. This, the redemption the redemptive work of the church is going to be done through a wonderfully integrated working together as a body of Christ. It's not going to be done by a few flaming prophets or super, super duper evangelists, but it's going to be done by you and me and the normal members of the church. That's what's going to happen. And we need to begin to, be, uh, to participate. We need to begin to uh, understand and deploy the gifts that God has given to us. If we're not discovering our gifts and using our gifts, we are living below the standard that God has set for us and the revealed will of God. In a carpenter's bag, there were a whole number of tools. And they started to have a conference with one another. And the president stood up and he was the hammer. And I said, we don't like you to be president. We don't like you because you're just too noisy. And the hammer said, well, if I leave, then the screw has to leave because you have to keep on turning him around and around to accomplish anything of importance in his life. And the screw said, well, if I'm going to leave, the plane has to leave because all the work that the plane does is superficial. And the plane said, well, if I leave, the ruler has to leave because he's busy measuring everybody. And the ruler said, Well, if I leave, the sandpaper has to leave because he's rough and he rubs people the wrong way. And then the carpenter of Nazareth arrived. And slowly but surely, he worked with all the tools. See, God is a God of variety. And there is diversity. There's diversity in animals. There's diversity in the snowflake. There's diversity in the fingerprint. There's diversity in people's faces. No two faces are the same. No two fingerprints are the same. No two believers are the same and are gifted in a different way. I want to say to you, first thing you do is cultivate a wonderful relationship with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. Make sure that that's your primary, primary relationship in life. There is no substitute that can better and improve the communion that you have with the Lord. In the book of Acts, it is addressed, the book of Acts is addressed to Theophilus. Now, I don't believe that there was a person's name, Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. Theo, God, philos is lover. It's a lover of God. It doesn't say theologian, student of God. It says. To the lover of God, here is a book that describes the incredible work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, I don't want to downplay doctrinal study because it's absolutely essential. But the greatest need that we have is to know God and to love Him intimately and passionately every single day. 2 Timothy chapter, 12, or chapter 1 verse 12. I am in full confidence because I know whom, I know whom. I have trusted and have believed. And I am sure that he is able to keep safe until that day what he has entrusted to me. I know whom. Paul knew a lot of stuff. His theology was profound. But he believed in God. The second thing that we need to do is to forfeit our non-passivity, our right to non-passivity. In other words, make a decision. John Maxwell, who I love, got many of his books. He's a great leader. He said this, my life's goal is to make a difference. Who are you making a difference to? My life's goal is to make a difference. And when we see the gifts recorded in Romans chapter 12, the seven motivational gifts, leading, mercy, giving, exhortation, serving, the prophetic, and teaching. It is always after Romans chapter 1, which says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first. When we came to Jesus, we said, I give up my rights, Lord. I belong to you. That's what we do in the Christian life. And the third thing, you step out. And even if you fail, step out. I've often tried to define faith. And faith is spelt R-I-S-K is risk. Is risk. You see, that's the whole point of walking with the Lord. You see, there are many there are many, many great heroes of the faith, great heroes of the faith that have slipped up. Yes, they were people of great obedience, but they were great, great heroes of the faith because we see their blunders, their mistakes, and yes, their failures and even their sins. But we have that on record, and we're able to learn from that. We're able to see what their mistakes are. And sometimes... We learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. I mean, years ago, I remember this clearly. We were coming back from holiday, and I was thinking, okay, getting back into the mode of church. Medler was asleep. The girls were asleep in the back seat. The air conditioner was going. We were coming back from holiday. And I remember the Lord saying to me as I was thinking about the church, Richard, I wish that you had made more mistakes. That's a strange thing. You know, I wish that I had. Because I never ventured into anything unless I knew that I was going to succeed. And that's not right. Step into it. Even if you make a mistake, we have a God who is a redeemer who gives us the grace to come back and to do it again in even a better way. I mean, can you imagine Edison? I mean, he has two dejected assistants looking at him. He said, Mr. Edison... We've tried this 700 times. That's the invention of the light bulb. We've tried this 700 times. And Edison says, no, we haven't failed. This has just been a learning experience. And he said to them, we haven't failed. We just know more about the subject than anybody else alive. We're closer to finding the answer because we know 700 things that do not work. Don't call it a mistake. Call it education. Just keep on going and be educated more and more, even with all your mistakes. Somebody once said, if Edison didn't make all those mistakes, we would be watching television in the dark. I'm grateful that he kept on going, that he persevered through all of those things. Proverbs 24 and verse 16, the righteous man falls and yet rises again. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. I was part of a a vineyard movement for a while, and John Wimber was the leader of the vineyard church in the 70s, 80s, and going into the 90s. And John Wimber started his ministry, and he said, "I, I, I believe that we need to pray for people, pray for people for healing. And he prayed for people, and for 10 months, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I mean, he just was about to give up. And he prayed for somebody, and it was just so casual. Oh, God healed this person. And the person was healed. And it started to open up a huge, huge gateway of healing that took place in that church. Dick Haverson was the uh, um, preacher, pastor to the United States Senate and he had a a group of guys that got together, 35, and he invited Billy Graham to come. And Billy Graham was so totally intimidated. Billy Graham could preach to tens of thousands of people, but to 35 he was totally intimidated. But Billy Graham drew on the grace of God, and he came and he ministered to that 35, and he became a master of that, but he was totally, totally intimidated because of that fact, first of all. But he rose above that. So tell me, what is more tragic? Love unused? Generosity kept to oneself? Friendship unshared? How about a world world filled with people with talents who refuse to use them? Who know what their talents are and are keep them to themselves? Years ago, I opened my desk drawer and I noticed at the back of the drawer was an old torch. I probably had hardly used it. I bought it. I thought, ah, I remember. There's a torch. We didn't have load shedding back then. So it was of no consequence, really. So I took it out and I thought, I can put this in a more usable place. So I turned it on. Didn't work. Had batteries inside. Opened it up. Looked in. Tried to get the batteries out. The battery acid had oozed out and it corroded the inside and totally destroyed the the, the torch. I thought to myself, that's not the purpose of a torch. That's not the purpose of a flashlight. The purpose of the flashlight is not to sit at the back in a warm, comfortable place. The purpose of the torch is to be there in a place where you can turn it on and it can display light to everything and everyone. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to display light and to reflect the love of God to people. How dare we sit there in a dark place, in a comfortable place, and say, I'm okay. Thank you, Lord. Let's get going. Let's get up. So in my prayer this morning, I want to pray that we become a congregation congregation that provides many many opportunities even despite our mistakes and despite our failures to demonstrate God's love in ministry and service that's going to be my prayer I'm going to ask for a response so let's go into prayer let's pray together